All right, everyone. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast Quarantined Edition. If you are watching this on YouTube, you can see that I'm sitting in a different place. I have holed myself up at a cabin at Whistler. Don't worry. I am still fully quarantined. For those of you running the streets of Vancouver, scared that I might contaminate you, I went from house to car, car to cabin. So you're all safe. Um, today on the podcast, I am talking to a resource-focused fund manager, and his name is Matt Geiger, and his fund is MJG Capital. They have been around for about eight years now. Matt is heavily focused on the junior mining exploration space. He's, uh, you know, he's everywhere. He's, there's a lot of articles. There's a lot of um, interviews with Matt in it. He does a great uh, sort of investor's newsletter that I follow. And I'm excited to sit down with him today. We've never had him on the podcast before, and I probably should have had him on years ago. But we're going to talk about what the hell is going on in the markets. Uh, we're going to talk about gold's recent run, which is nice to see, and a whole lot of other stuff. So without further ado, Matt, thanks for uh, coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamie. And I, I must say, uh, appreciate being on the program here. I'm a, a big fan of what you guys do at Resource Insider. You guys have a lot of high-quality guests um, sharing, sharing a lot of knowledge. So pleased to be joining you. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm glad to add your name to the list of high-quality people. Now, to start off for, for a bit of a background, you're in California right now. Are you in San Francisco? Am I right on that? Yes, the, the resource capital of the world. That, as I say, that's <laughs> on the cheek, of course. It, that, was, that was the case 150 years ago, ironically, during, during the gold rush. San Francisco yeah, of was, course. was ground, ground zero um, in terms of, of mining financing. But it's funny how things change. Um, that, that couldn't be farther from, from the truth today. Uh, mining is viewed in, in the, the Bay Area as you know, old-fashioned, stodgy, uh, irrelevant industry, which I just think is is ignorant um, because all of the the cool tech and all the stuff that we're we're inventing in the Bay Area wouldn't be wouldn't be possible without the metals and the inputs that that we pull out of the ground. So I think there's there's a clear disconnect there um, that hopefully people will will start to wrap their minds around in, in the years and decades ahead. But so that that's a that's kind of an interesting question. A good place to start. How did how did you end up in the Bay Area and end up running a mining fund when, you know, it seems to me that half the United States and much of the world is flooding to that area for over the last few years to get into the tech space, yet you took a bit of a contrarian approach. Is there a reason that you got interested in mining and, and why base yourself there as opposed to a, a Denver or a, a Vancouver or a, a more traditional mining hub? No, all, all good questions. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that to answer the, the last one first, I, I do like being a bit off the beaten path. I think it gives me a little bit of a, an interesting perspective. And as you'd imagine, it's been a two, two decade tech bull market here, really. There's obviously a blip, you know, in 2008, 2009 around the great financial crisis, but there's a lot of money sloshing around. So I think it's, it's a bit of um, an advantage to be able to stick out like a sore thumb because there aren't many other um, resource fund managers um, in the area. Um, not a very clear cut answer to, you know, exactly what drew me to, to the space. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't have any mining in the family. I guess I, I did have a great grandfather that apparently worked in the, the Portuguese uh, or in the Chilean copper mines uh, as, as a supervisor. Um, but other than that, um, you know, no, no family lineage there. Um, I guess the first aspect is I've always been appealed to, to the longer term 
um, narrative where we're on a resource with, with a planet with finite resources and we have a population that's growing exponentially and also consumption on a per person basis that's growing exponentially. Um, and, uh, you know, that gives me confidence that mining is going to be just as relevant 80 years from now when I'm an old man, hopefully still investing, um, you know, j j as, just as much, if not more than it is now. Um, I was also drawn to the contrarian nature of it, as, as you mentioned, um, especially in the Bay Area for somebody my age. I mean, this, this couldn't be the farthest thing from what people are focused on. Um, as I've gotten deeper and, and deeper into the industry, I, I have met um, bright and, and younger uh, guys and women that are up and coming. But I think everybody would agree that there's a massive generational gap. Um, there's a lot of white hair out there um, and there's not too many younger guys um, to fill the shoes. And so oh, yeah. I, I view that as, as an opportunity. And, and then the final point real quickly, I mean, this is pretty much, besides from maybe the shipping industry, the most volatile and cyclical industry in the world, hands down. And most people are afraid of volatility and cyclicality. Obviously, that when things are working against you, it's not necessarily fun. Um, but I think there's an advantage there if you have the right temperament and the right value investing framework to actually use those two things to your advantage. And um, I, I think it's, it's a natural fit for kind of uh, my temperament and, and, and the investment strategy that we have. Well, you're certainly getting your opportunity to take advantage of volatility uh, over the <laughs> yeah. last couple of weeks. Say that again. Yep. And I, and I want to talk about that. But the last question I have about where you are now is, do you see many parallels between, you know, especially venture tech investing into these startup companies that are obviously very popular where you live to investing in mining companies. And again, particularly the junior space where you have the, the more venture style investing. Do you see a lot of similarities there? That's, that's one of my favorite questions. So kind of from a bird's eye view. Yes. No, no question about it. Um, you know, both, both of these industries take the venture capital model where you're, you're making high risk, high reward bets. And if you focus on big enough opportunities, um, you know, a, a series of 10 bets, you only need one or, or two to pan out for all your losses to be amortized and then for an acceptable rate of return on, on top of that. And so I think intuitively, both, you know, junior mining investors and, you know, the VCs in Silicon Valley understand that. And the very best investors in both of those industries focus on big opportunities, um, you know, just like you know, you don't want to focus on a $100 million mine, uh, in, in my opinion, you, you need to be thinking big. Um, similarly, in, in Silicon Valley, if investors don't see the potential or the potential scale for a billion dollar idea, they, they'll chew you out the door. So I think focus on, on big opportunities, understanding that you only need a, a small percentage of them to truly pan out to, to make a lot of money. That's intuitively grasped between both sets of investors. However, in practice, there's a big divide, um, at least between Silicon Valley venture capitalists looking at the junior resource space. Uh, I think the largest thing that throws them off is the fact that these are publicly traded equities. And if anything, in Silicon Valley right now, the model is to keep the companies private for as long as humanly possible, to, to juice up that valuation as high as possible. And then, frankly, to, to dump it onto an unsuspecting retail audience upon the I, IPO. That's kind of <laughs> been the game plan over the past five or six years and how a lot of these investors have made money, to be frank. And so that's really in direct conflict to what we see in the junior resource space, where there are, of course, private companies out, of, out there. There are a lot, a lot of companies with sub $100 million, sub $50 million, sub $10 million com, uh, companies that are already public on the TSXD or the, or the CSE or what have you. 
And for these venture capitalists, that really throws them for a loop. They view that as a penny stock or, you know, as, as a especially risky proposition. Even at the end of the day, whether a company is private or it's public, they both have a valuation. And all you have to do is multiply the share price times the outstanding shares. And whether it's public or private, that's ultimately all that matters to a value investor. But I, I've observed that the disconnect for, for these VCs is pretty extreme. And it, it will potentially reconcile, you know, if we're at the peak of a mining bull market in five or six years here, I could see a lot of VCs coming in at the top and, and trying to um, adapt their, their thinking. But there's, there's a lot of resistance there for kind of the, the, the junior model up in Canada with, with the early listings and what have you. Yeah. <clears throat> now, you know, that leads me to a question and it's something I've been, and we're getting down a bit of a rabbit hole with this, but I've been thinking about this for two or three years now. And part of me, I don't think I can back this up, but I, part of me has a feeling that in the future, we're going to see uh, early stage mining and exploration companies financed more and more privately. And it, part of that is due to the success we've had at Resource Insider in financing in helping raise money for uh, private companies and the successes that we've had when they go when they do go public at a significant premium from our subscribers we get a lot of we have a we have a strong audience that has a lot of interest in that model and what I wonder is are funds like yours or maybe even some of the more the bigger institutional investors are they going to come into that in the next year five years decade or do you think we'll stick with this traditional Canadian junior publicly listed model? My feel is we're going to see it go more private, but frankly, I don't actually have anything to back that up. Yeah, well, that's, that's an interesting thesis. And if it did go more and more private, I, I would say that that would make it easier and easier to attract kind of U.S. generalist investors that are, are used to that kind of angel investing or seed yeah. stage investing model. I think that would kind of start driving more with their framework. For me, that, that causes a bit of issues. I mean, we do, we do technically do private investments or it's within our mandate to do private investments. But as a fund manager, um, and if you're not investing out of a PA, those can create a lot of administrative complications, especially if the company in question doesn't go public in the timeline that you anticipated and ends course, up being yeah. a private investment that just lingers in the portfolio for years and years. So, I mean, we've done four private investments over the you know eight, eight odd years that we've been in existence. So I'm, I'm quite... Picky, but if it's truly the right team at the right valuation with a clear and defined um, path to, to going public, um, either through an IPO or an RTR or what have you, then that's, that's something that I'll, I'll take a close look at. Do you think over the next, I was going to say the next year, but maybe over the next couple of weeks at the rate we're going, we're going to start seeing <clears throat> some of the money that's been focused on tech and, you know, we can broaden it out to general equities in general in the U.S., focus start to come into the mining sector start to come in the precious metal space do you think we're going to see the change from this obsession with these big tech focused growth growth stories to more hard assets and things that are real and things that can people can kind of you know know that are there and have a real uh inherent value yeah well i mean i think i think it is inevitable but the question of timing is is difficult i mean this has been a 10 you know 10-year run, 12-year run of, you know, high-tech, um, consumer-focused, basically the rest of the, the stock market, to be honest, leaving behind the hard assets um, year after year after year. And at some point, there, there is going to be a reckoning here. This is how it, how it always works. Um, you know, in, in terms of timing, probably precious metals will 
you know, move more, more quickly um, than, than base metals or agriculture, industrial materials or what have you. Yep. Um, but I, I do think we'll, we'll start to see a, a rationalization here. And obviously the, the fact is bandied about that, you know, Apple has a market cap, you know, many times above the, the entire market cap of the uh, gold space combined, which, which I don't think is necessarily sustainable. So I, I do think, you know, as Friedland says, we are, we're, we are in for a period here um, of the re- revenge of the miners. You know, whether that yeah. happens over the next six months, though, I'm less certain. Over the next five years, much more certain. Over the next 10 years, almost, almost positive. Um, about that that will be the case because the divergence has been extreme and if you look at the commodity prices relative to the S&P or look at the the values um, of the miners relative to the S&P we're at we're at you know multi-decade lows and, and that's always a good time to be deploying deploying capital so let's talk about that and you know what the hell is going on right now we've seen the most volatility I don't know, in decades, maybe in a very long time, we saw the biggest gold run in US dollars in history yesterday. And it's basically continued today. I think, you know, we were talking about this before I hit record. We were up something like 10, we're up something like 10% in the last two days. What do you see is going on here? And how are you managing this as a, as a portfolio manager? Are you, are you deploying capital right now? Are you rejigging your portfolio? Or are you just kind of like, waiting and seeing for the right time to get back in, or not to get back in, but to get further in and move things around? Good, good question. I mean, absent really today, what we have been seeing is, is broad-based panic. And that's been the case yeah. for, for multiple weeks now. Um, you know, that's why we saw gold uh, get sell, sell, uh, sold off ruthlessly at the beginning of this panic. Um, not because gold's not going to do well in these coming months, but just due to, you know, margin calls, uh, redemptions, uh, collateral requirements and, and potentially ignorance as well. You know, people thinking, oh, well, I bought gold to protect me and it's dropped 200 points when the rest of the market's falling. You know, gold's not working anymore. I'm out. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of those investors have largely been, been shaken out. Um, you know, in, in terms of the precious metal space, two Fridays ago, March 13th, that truly did look like capitulation like behavior. Um, my opinion in the, in the days and like week and a half after that, that it actually wasn't and that we'd see one more big downdraft. But of course that was the day your, your listeners might remember. Um, we had the GDX down intraday 35%, uh, GDX, uh, down 30%, you know, JNUG, which is a, a levered ETF. And of course we don't play in any of these ETFs, but as a market participant, it's worth at least keeping an eye on them. We had the JNUG, which is triple levered. Um, down, you know, basically nearly imploded, you know, fell from the nine up above 90 the week before to, you know, two or three dollars and nearly blew yeah. up. Um, so that looked like sheer panic selling. Um, I was a bit skeptical that was the bottom. The price action we've seen in the past couple of days, though, for, for gold and now today the gold equities has been quite compelling. So I'm, I may be leaning towards that was the bottom, certainly for the gold price. Um, I yeah. think it's looking more and more likely that for gold equities, that was also the case. Um, however, I'm not, not chasing, and I want to make that, that very clear. Um, and, yeah. and then to kind of address kind of how we went about this, um, I think a good strategy for, for periods like this is to, to take your holdings, list them out on a piece of paper one by one, go through them, and look at the bottom 15 or 20% where you're maybe a little more shaky on, on the story, or it's just frankly, high risk, 
and in a better market environment, it would do quite well. But you, you have concerns. Maybe they need to raise capital this year. That's obviously a big no-no. Um, even with the catalyst before then, this is going to be a very tough nine months for, for juniors to access capital. And, and just look at your, your holdings holistically and really only stick with the ones that you can truly not see your portfolio without, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so about so kind of two weeks yeah. into the panic selling, you know, we <clears throat> trimmed about 20% of our positions. So no, no panic, no knee-jerk reaction, none of that, but just looked at the, the holdings holistically um, and took, took money off the table from some of the names that I think had the higher downside than, other, than others. And so we went into this year almost fully deployed. So don't get me wrong. It's obviously been a, a rough um, few weeks here. Um, but between some of that selling, we also had some investor inflows earlier this, this month. You know, we're in the 15 to 20% uh, cash range right now, which, which gives me, which gives me uh, comfort um, and gives me confidence to, to kind of hang in there. And so I think for investors that haven't taken this opportunity to kind of cull their portfolio a little bit, again, you don't have to do anything dramatic. But, but taking money off the table for some of the names that are a little more speculative, have more downside. Um, today, days like today are a great day to do that. You can sell into the strength, have, you know, 20, 30% cash hanging on the side, the rest of your money deployed into the holdings that you truly can't, you know, see yourself not holding, and then going from there. So we're, we're definitely not chasing. We have limit orders, you know, pretty deep stinkids uh, below some of our, our current holdings, you know, 25, 30. 35% below. Um, if those hit, then great. I'm getting good values. Um, if not, and we see the whole mining space move from here, then, you know, we're close to 80% exposed already. So, so God bless us. But I don't think we're just going to, even though on days like today, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting to see a bunch of green. We're, we're not going to just skyrocket from here. There's going to be extreme volatility. Um, precious metal stocks maybe did see their, their lows already, but I think there's more pain coming ahead for basically the rest of the commodity complex, whether you're looking at base metals, energy metals, industrial materials, ag, what have you, uh, you know, I, I think the worst is yet to come. So, yeah, I agree with you on, on much of that. So I think you're probably right that we've seen a low in gold price and precious metals or not precious metals in gold particular. Um, but I don't think we've seen a low in equities. And the reason for that is, and, I, and I'm speculating at this point, but I do wonder if we're going to see more and more mine shutdowns. Uh, you know, we're seeing it in countries like Peru. I was talking to Ross Beattie last week, and he's talking about Pan America having to shut down uh, their operations there. And I think it's very likely we start to see this more and more and more and more uh, around the world. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. But if we do see that, one, we're going to see equities get crushed, and two, we're going to see actual physical metal go way up, I think, when you start seeing these miners actually shut down. So what I think about now is, okay, if we're repositioning our portfolio, and I did almost exactly what you said, I kind of cut the bottom 15% uh, a week ago and started to redeploy it. The areas that I kind of want to be in, in this scenario are royalty and streaming companies, which I think will get hit really hard when they have their, when they have their stream shut off. And it'll be great buying opportunities because they're not going to suffer any of the operating costs associated with keeping something mm -hmm. on care and maintenance. And the other thing is maybe cheap development companies as well, right? And I haven't gone out and bought any of these yet, but I think of something like Integra Resources that has just raised a shit ton of money last December. They're cashed up for at least the next year. You know, they're trading 
haven't checked it today, but they were, I think they were down to half of what they were at at one point. Mm-hmm. They're not Liberty going Gold. anywhere. Liberty, Liberty Gold, Gold and other ones yeah. actually US. But it's like you have these things that like for them to just sit and do nothing is relatively inexpensive with respect or with comparison to an operating mining company, right? That has big staffs yeah. and all the things associated with putting a mine on care maintenance. I haven't bought any of them yet and I'm kind of waiting for this moment. Um, in some point parts, I hope I'm wrong that this happens, but I think that we're, we still might have that in front of us in the next, I don't even want to give a timeline, weeks, months, we'll see. Yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, we're, we're completely aligned on the royalty names in particular. Um, precious metal, base metal, um, I think putting in stink bids, 15, 20, 25%, 30% below and crossing your fingers that they get filled in the coming months here could be a, a, quite a good strategy. Um, those yeah. are, I mean, that's by, that business model's taken the mining space by storm, especially in North America over the past 15 years. Those are going to be the first companies that bounce um, once, once equities have, have bottomed. Um, you know, cheap, cheap developers make sense as well. Um, you know, Liberty and um, Integra are not holdings of, of the fund. Um, but I think they both look like high quality options at the moment. The, the one slight negative is that they are both U.S. based, so you're you're not seeing the the advantage yeah. of a, like a falling Canadian dollar. So if they were just north of the border, that would make them even more attractive in my mind. But to to me, if you can buy good, good qualities point. with good quality companies with with good good people at good prices, you know, putting too much stock in the FX differences, I think you're kind of you're kind of uh, getting a little too too greedy there. Um, well, but I, I a friend of mine was, sorry, I was going to say a friend of mine was making the case for Ignico Eagle, actually, given that one, a lot of their operations are in Canada, uh, and two, they're in very remote jurisdictions, right? So you have uh, their mines up in Nunavut, you have their mines in Northern Finland. So you're, at, you're in areas that, in theory, at least, are less likely to be shut down, uh, given their yeah sort of their isolation, their self-isolation. Uh, and then you go, you get lower oil prices uh, in, a, in an operation where that makes up, I don't know what the number is, but probably a very, very significant chunk of their operating costs. And you get that currency um, bump as well by being Canadian. Yeah. Now it's going to be disruptive for everybody. I mean, even Agnico, I think this was just, just yesterday, but they're um, for their Meadowbank and, and Nunavut based mines, they're sending about half the workforce uh, home. Especially those that live, so, in the, okay. live in the local <laughs> communities, because they're no, but the, the the workers that are kind of fly in, fly out, or from elsewhere in Canada and, and are living yeah. in the local communities, they're still keeping things up and running. But I think they're worried from a you know CSR perspective. It'd look really bad if you know the, the disease spread within the local communities and yeah. they started at the mine. So I think they're 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 watching their brand um, as well there, which well, is especially probably a lot of those will be will be Inuit communities as well. And they're very remote yeah. and they have limited access to healthcare and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of challenges that go with that. So yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. The, the, the very final thing that I'd bring up that I focused on um, would be cheap explorers, like very cheap, like prospect generators or early stage um, development plays where company is trading at slash below cash. Um, mm-hmm. And we're starting to see those opportunities out there. Um, I remember one of our, our very best successes was buying Almadex Minerals in, in late 2015. And at that time, you added together their cash, their marketable securities, um, their bullion holdings, because they own physical gold, and it exceeded the company's market cap by one or two million. So you're able to get the whole rest of the company for free. It came with drill rigs, it came with NSR, Onyx Staka, 
Um, it came with a large property portfolio in Mexico. Um, sure enough, their first drill program, they drilled at um, El Cobre, which is now within Azucar Minerals. They made a discovery. We made a 10 bagger in nine months on that one. And that's obviously a very best case scenario. That's not going to happen at all. But there's an example of buying a company below cash. So your risk is kind of limited. But since they are still in the expiration stage, if they get things right, it can, it can work for you in, in a big way. So yeah, we are starting to see some prospect generation groups and early stage kind of development companies that are trading near cash position. You don't have to go out and buy them today, but maybe put in a stink bid, you know, where if they fall 15, 20, if you want to be very aggressive, 30% cash, those are starting to get to margins of safety that even, you know, Ben Graham would be proud of from a value investment <laughs> standpoint. So I think um, I think that's another kind of area to look at for for those with a, a bit of a higher risk tolerance. But but no doubt, you know, the, the least risky would be looking at the royalty names. You know, second least risky would be looking at the the high quality, well cashed up kind of later stage development plays that you looked at. But I also think as these juniors potentially get cheaper, there's opportunities amongst the smaller names as well. You just have to make sure that they're really cashed up. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is such a good time for people that are thinking about entering the mining or the gold space in particular who haven't done it yet. You know, we've done a lot of outreach uh, to different groups. You know, I, I get on a lot of these, like, what do, why do millennials want to invest in mining panels and, and conversations? And I don't think there's ever been a better time if you've never entered the space before to take whatever it is, the amount of money you want to deploy, whether it's 10 grand, whether it's a hundred grand and sort of dividing up building doing what you said before and building that portfolio and understanding you're spreading that risk across, call it 10, 15 names, and that it only takes one or two of them to do well for that whole portfolio to be really, really successful. And we're in a, an environment right now where if you're half intelligent about it, everything can do pretty well. Mm -hmm. Just be cautious. Just be cautious. And if the company needs to come back to market, as I mentioned earlier, really within the next 12 months, like it's not worth buying the common shares in my opinion. Yeah. Not, not now. Um, you know, if things turn dramatically, then I guess you could get more aggressive. But for those scenarios, I always just would rather wait for the private placement where you can often get in at a discount to market potentially, and maybe with a half warrant or a full warrant sweetener. Um, and I think that's always the better strategy, especially in this environment where the market knows you're going to, you need to raise money in the coming months like there's going to be a, there's going to be a financing overhang and your share prices, yeah. unless there's some stunning news that you, you release, you're not going to move at all. And if you move at all, it'll be down. So well, I, think I think you have to you're be very totally patient right. as yeah. investors and not, not, you know, see days like today where there's a lot of green on the screen and start chasing things. That's just not the, the strategy that's going to work in this environment because it's going to be choppy for everything. You know, you talked about these advantages you get in private placements and in Resource Insider, all we do is find private placement deals for ourselves and our members. And right now I'm getting a ton of inbound requests for meetings and people pitching deals. And, you know, we're not, we're being extremely, extremely selective in, in this environment, but I think it's very indicative of the fact that we're going to see some really, really cheap deals uh, over the coming months. And we're going to be able to, I mean, not we, but investors are going to be able to set their price. So if you are an accredited investor out there and you're listening to this, I think get yourself a good newsletter, get yourself a good broker, get yourself someone that can get you access to these sort of things. Because I think not today, but over the later in this year, we're going to see some really, really 
I would say, unique and uh, rare opportunities. Yeah, you're right, though. There'll, there'll be a lag. Won't happen today. Might not even happen yeah. three months from now. Because with these share prices in the gutter, juniors are going to try to scrap along for as long as they can without having to, to bite the bullet and raise cash. Um, mm-hmm. But unless we see the market dramatically turn, you know, they'll probably capitulate later this year. And that's where enterprising investors can get some particularly attractive terms. But I, of course, would emphasize, got to focus on the company quality, got to focus on the quality of the people, got to focus on the quality of the asset, got to focus on the company's financial structure, got to focus on upcoming catalysts. Good deal terms are great, but it has to be with a high quality outfit or you're, you're, you're doing yourself no favors. Yeah, hundred percent. So Matt, I think that's a good place to leave it for this conversation. Uh, for those who are interested in learning more about you, about uh, MJG Capital, where should they check that out? Yep, just, just come to the website. Uh, that's www.mjgcapital.com. Um, we have our investor letters um, since the partnership's inception uh, listed, um, recent you know, press and podcast appearances and what have you listed, uh, pictures from site visits that I've done, um, which unfortunately I had literally three scheduled for, for next month. And they've all been canceled, as, as you could imagine, with what's yeah. going on um, with coronavirus, which is, which is unfortunate. Um, and then there's also a, a contact form um, for any investors that are interested in the partnership, uh, learning more, or simply just want to talk shop. I always like inter- uh, you know, interacting with, with investors out there and seeing what they're interested in. And you know, happy to share my opinions if, if you have any names that you have questions on. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Enjoyed the conversation.